All right, Genesis chapter 44. Genesis 44. Oh, sounds so sad. That's better. Hey, I can't, don't like looking at y'all through these glasses because y'all look really blurry. So I'll just do that. I'll stare, at, I'll stare at you over my glasses. How about that? I know it's new for me too. All right, Genesis 44. Let's read this chapter together. 34 verses. Man, I am so loving going through Genesis. There's so much here, uh, so much gospel application uh, for us in our lives today. All right, Genesis 44. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the man's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. And they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off. And Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever your servant it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. And then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. And Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, Please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for, your, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asks his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? 
And he said to my Lord, and we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us. Then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. And therefore, now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with, my, with his brothers. For how shall I go to my father if the lad is not with me? lest perhaps I see the evil that would be that would come upon my father. So this is Judah speaking to Joseph. Now keep in mind that Judah and his brothers have no idea that this is Joseph. This is the man second in command in Egypt. The same man that they sold into slavery over 20 years earlier. And they have no clue this is their brother Joseph. And remember, they came the first time and Joseph recognized him, but they didn't recognize Joseph. And they go back and he asks all these questions. Do you have your father? Yes, we have a father. Is he still alive? Yes, do you have another brother? Yes, we have a younger brother. He's with our father. And he says, don't come back to me for more food unless you bring your younger brother because I believe you're spies. So now they've come back, and you remember, Jacob did not want to let Benjamin go. Remember, Joseph keeps Simeon. Simeon means here, to hear. Remember, when we read about Joseph's brothers, they threw him in the pit, and then they ate lunch. And while they're eating lunch, Joseph is crying for mercy from the depths of the pit, but they would not hear Joseph's cry. So Joseph is working out this redemption of his family, unbeknownst to his family. 
This is the beautiful picture of the gospel that God is working out our redemption and we don't even know it. Before you even knew who Christ was, before God was a thought in your mind, God was already working out your redemption and you did not even know it. Joseph's brothers are standing before literally the savior of the world because Egypt is the only place that has food and the world has fallen into famine and the nations are coming to Joseph to receive food so that they could literally survive and they're having to sell everything they have. They're having to sell their livestock, they're having to sell their property and Joseph is taking all they have in exchange and he's giving them food. It's what Christ demands when we come to him, that we give him everything and we hold nothing back. And in return, what does he give us? He gives us life. So here is Joseph. And here are the brothers. And Joseph is saying to them, now they've come back, they've brought Benjamin, they've proven that they're not spies. And Joseph sends them away, but Joseph puts the silver cup, his silver cup, in the mouth of Benjamin's sack. And he sends the steward, and he says, go and bring them back to me. He totally sets them up. And the brothers think that they've made it to Egypt, and they're on their way back home with their grain, with their food for for their father Jacob. They've got Simeon, they've got Benjamin, they think all is well, and all of a sudden the steward rides up and he says, why have you repaid this evil, this good for evil? Why have you done this evil thing when my master was so good to you? What have we done? You stole his cup. You stole his silver cup. We did not. If you find it, you can kill us. And sure enough, he goes starting with the oldest to the very youngest. He didn't even go to the youngest. Joseph tells him exactly what to do. Don't start with the youngest. Start with the oldest and make them sweat. And when you get to the youngest, there's going to be the silver cup and you bring them back to me. And they realize that they're going back to judgment. Now, here's what's important to see in this story. Who is the one that speaks up? It's Judah. Who is the one that was the head of the conspiracy to get rid of Joseph when Joseph was 17 years old? It was Judah. Judah was the one that wanted to kill Joseph. It was Judah that sold Joseph to the Ishmaelite traders. It was Reuben who convinced them not to kill him. But Judah said, well, why should we just leave him to die in this pit? It's like, we won't kill you, we'll just let you die. And Judah says, why should we get nothing for his life? Look, there are the Ishmaelite traders. Let's sell him into slavery and at least we can split the money. That was Judah. And they took a goat and they slaughtered a goat and they dipped Joseph's coat of many colors in the blood of the goat and they took the torn up bloody coat back to Jacob and said, ah, father, we found this coat. It looks like Joseph's coat. Is it his? And Jacob says, yes, that is the coat of my son. He must have been 
ripped up by wild animals. Poor Joseph. And now for 20 years, they live this lie, making Jacob believe that his beloved son Joseph was killed by wild animals when all along they knew exactly what had happened. They sold him into slavery, but they sold him thinking they would never, ever see Joseph again. They thought that they had concealed their sin and their sin would never be exposed because who's ever going to see Joseph again? So this is the context of what's taking place here. When Joseph is questioning them, Joseph is making these demands of them. Joseph, it seems to the brothers, is being unjust and unreasonable because they know that they didn't steal the cup. They knew they didn't steal the money. Somehow, some way, we've been set up. And finally, what does Judah say? He says before Joseph, God has discovered your servants' iniquities. As if God didn't already know. Judah understood However, that cup got into our sack. We know Benjamin didn't steal it. We know none of us stole it. However, it got there. We know that God has done this because of the iniquities of your servants. He confesses right there. So let's look at some of the pictures. Remember, remember our scripture from Genesis 50, 20? When Joseph says to his brothers, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So in Joseph, we see this picture of Christ. We see this this gospel picture of Christ where the nations come to Joseph because Joseph holds the power of life and death, where Joseph becomes the door, the very way to life for the nations. Joseph was rejected by his own brethren, but those same brethren who rejected him ended up coming and bowing before him and coming to him to receive life. Christ was rejected by his very own, but his very own must come to him and bow before him in order to be saved. And like Christ, Joseph was unrecognizable by means of natural sight. His brothers did not recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognized them. Like Christ, Joseph is not recognized until he reveals himself. Christ stands before us as plain as day. Christ is all around us. The witness of his reality, the witness of his life is all around us, yet we are blind and not able to see Christ until Christ reveals himself to us. Joseph is put away as dead, but was raised to new life in position of authority, second only to Pharaoh. Just as Christ was put away as dead and raised to new life and given authority over all by his Father in heaven. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 27, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under his feet, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Pharaoh gave all authority 
to Joseph. He said, no one will lift their foot or put it down without your permission in Egypt. Your power and your authority is second only to my own. The same power, the same authority that the Father gave to Jesus. And like Christ, Joseph embraced brokenness instead of bitterness. And he was given power in place of weakness. God's glory and God's power are found in humility, in weakness. In fact, Paul writes this in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen to this church. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This is what was taking place with Joseph and his brothers. God was working out his salvation in Joseph, through Joseph, and his family. So let's look for a moment at Judah. Now remember, we were introduced to Joseph in Genesis 37, and then the Bible took this weird turn, and it tells us the story of Judah and Tamar, and then it goes back to the story of Joseph. And the story of Judah and Tamar within the context of Joseph's story seemed very out of place, but it actually was not. And so now we come to this point in Joseph's life where Joseph's brothers have come back before him. And now Judah, the very one who was responsible for Joseph being sold into slavery, now Judah takes responsibility. He stands up. And he takes responsibility for what had been done, the sin that they had committed. They have no idea that this man they're talking to knows, not only knows about it, but he was the one that was the victim of this sin. But Judah confesses to Joseph, unbeknownst, he confesses the sin of selling their brother into slavery, of the sin of murder and hatred in their hearts toward their brother because as far as they knew, Joseph was dead. And the reality is they didn't care whether Joseph lived or died at that point. And so here is Judah standing before Joseph. And Joseph is telling them, I'm going to take Benjamin because he had my cup. And Judah says, you can't take this young man. This is the only son that my father has left from his beloved wife. He's already lost the one son, the firstborn son of this mother. He cannot lose this 
only son that's left. Please take me instead. Take my life instead. So we see this process in Judah, the process of God's work of redemption. It's the same process that God takes us through in our life. So think about this. There's the curse. What is the root of sin? It's the curse that fell upon creation and humanity when Adam and Eve entered into sin. Sin is not just an external work. Sin is an internal work in us. We sin outwardly because sin has taken over our very essence. We are sin and death, the Bible says. And Judah's hatred for Joseph was a hatred that came from his sinful heart. So there's the curse, there's the crime, there's sin committed. There's the external manifestation of the sin that's internal in us. And Judah's sin against Joseph was also a sin against Jacob, his father, but also a sin, most importantly, against God. You see this when David writes in the Psalms, when he commits adultery with Bathsheba and he murders Uriah, his psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, David says, against you and against you alone, O God, have I sinned. Now, David wasn't stupid. He knew that he sinned against uh, Bathsheba. He knew he sinned against uh, Uriah. He knew he sinned against a lot of people. But David also understood that our greatest sin and where sin ultimately goes to is a sin against God. And this is what we see here with Judah. It wasn't just a sin against Joseph and his father. It was a sin against God. So we have the curse, we have the crime, we have the cover-up. We have sin committed, we have sin concealed. And so Judah lies to Jacob, his father, and tells him that a wild animal killed Joseph. And after the cover-up, we have these 20 years that have gone by, and it seems as though that they have gotten away with murder. But remember what we said when we began looking at Joseph that the Bible says your sins will always find you out. And so 20 years later, Joseph's just a faint memory in these guys' minds. They've put that away. They've gone on with their lives. And it just so happens the world enters into a famine and they come to Egypt. And who do they meet? They meet Joseph. But they don't know it's Joseph. And what we see is that God is bringing correction, that God, even when God sent Joseph out to check on the brothers and the sheep. God had a plan even before that day began. And God was bringing about a redemption of his people when no one could see it and no one could know it. So this correction that God brings to his children to expose our sin, Judah is brought face to face with his sin. And in that moment, when he's brought face to face with his sin, what does he do? He confesses. He acknowledges his sin. He confesses his sin. And he says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. And in that moment of confession, of acknowledging his sin, we also see something else in Judah that we did not see before. Judah is seeing that Benjamin is getting ready to be taken as a slave. And Judah knows that if Benjamin is taken, it will mean the death of their father. Even though Judah knew how much Jacob loved Joseph, 
Judah had no compassion toward Joseph, and Judah had no compassion toward his father Jacob when he sat there and ate lunch hearing the cries of his brother from the bottom of that pit. He had absolutely no compassion on anyone. He only thought of himself. But now we see Judah, who's come face to face with his sin, who's acknowledged and confessed his sin, and now we see compassion welling up within Judah. And Judah has compassion not only for Benjamin, but he has compassion for Jacob. And in that moment of compassion, in that moment of confessing his sin, Judah makes a commitment. And he says, take my life and substitute for my brothers. Take my life. Let me be your slave and not my brother Benjamin. Let my brother go back to my father so that my father will live and not die and take my life. We see Judah trying to atone for this sin, trying to right the wrong, offering his life as a substitute for Benjamin's. Do you see the picture of Christ? Do you see the gospel filling the pages of the story that God is authoring? Do you see how God is pointing us ahead even Back in Egypt, thousands of years before Christ would be born, God is pointing us through the story, through the lives of these characters. He's pointing us to Christ, and he's pointing us to the cross so that when Christ comes, when Christ is face to face with us, we will see Christ on the pages of Scripture. We'll see Christ in the lives, in the dealings of God with the patriarchs and the fathers. And so Benjamin is getting ready to be taken as a slave and Judah steps up and he says, take my life as a substitute so that comfort can come to my father, so that the sting of sin can be deadened in the life of my father. He has suffered enough. I cannot make him suffer this. It will be his end. And Judah seeks to provide comfort for Jacob. So here's this process. We're born under the curse. We're born in sin and in death. We commit sin. We conceal our sin. But God brings His correction to expose our sin. And by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace, we're brought to acknowledge our sin in confession and repentance as we feel the weight and the consequence of our sinfulness. We come to know God's compassion and we willingly lay down our life in commitment to Him. We experience God's comfort and we become the very instruments that God will use to bring His comfort to others. Your salvation is not just about you getting to go to heaven one day. Your salvation is about your life in total your complete life not not even just your life when you said yes to Jesus do you see this you see this in the page of scripture redemption didn't begin when Joseph realized who he was redemption didn't begin when Joseph realized that he was going to have a second chance with his brothers Redemption didn't begin because Joseph could interpret some dreams and thrust him to the pinnacle of power in Egypt. Redemption began before Joseph was born. 
Redemption began before all these brothers were born. Redemption began before Jacob was born. Redemption began before Isaac was born. Redemption began before Abraham was born. Redemption began before Adam was created. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. And God created the world with redemption in mind. God created man with redemption in mind. And God began to author the stories of the very people we read on the pages of Scripture. And he authored those stories with redemption in mind. And so Judah Judah took no thought of anyone but himself when he sold Joseph into slavery. And the sale of Joseph meant the same as the death of Joseph to Judah. Joseph was put away to return no more. And in this state of being dead, of being put away by his brothers, there was no concern about how that would affect Jacob, their father. The only concern was that they were able to cover their sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they knew that they were naked, their only concern was that they cover themselves do you see this is the sinful heart of man if we think we can cover ourselves we think we can cover our sin if we can somehow get away with it it's okay if, if we can just get people to forget about it it's okay the only problem is that people do forget you might be able to hide it from people but here's the here's the reality you can't hide it from god you can't and god is the one that 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 we should be most concerned about because as much as we sin against other people our chief sin is against God and we can't hide our sin from God and you shouldn't want to hide your sin from God you should have no reason to want to hide your sin from God because God invites us to come to him in our sinfulness Christ came in our sinfulness not to condemn us but because we were already condemned He came when we were sinners, when we were enemies, to save us. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. While we were dead in our sin, Christ died for us. So here is Judah standing before the very one he sinned against and and sold into slavery. And Judah has no idea that this man who holds his very life and the life of his family in his power is the very brother that they sought to be rid of over 20 years ago. God is patient in dealing with our sin. 20 years, it's a long time. Everybody forgot. Even Joseph had Manasseh, which means God made me forget the pain and the toil of my father's house. But God didn't forget. And God patiently dealt with the sin that was committed. The sin that was internal. But he will deal with it. And we will eventually face our sins so that God can fully reveal his provision of salvation in our life. This is what Joseph was doing. Joseph was working by the grace of God to bring Judah and his brothers to a place of brokenness and repentance. And in that place of brokenness and repentance, Joseph would be able to reveal himself fully 
to his brothers. And this is God's desire. God desires to bring us to a place of revelation, of seeing Christ. So think about this. Joseph was always their brother. They're talking to Joseph, and they don't know it's Joseph. Joseph is their brother they're, they're talking to. But they have no idea it's their brother. They think it's this guy who's in command in Egypt. They have no idea who this guy is. But Joseph was always their brother, but the brothers could not see Joseph for who he was. This was true in the past, and it was true in the present. They had hatred for Joseph because they didn't fully know who Joseph truly was. Not that Joseph was going to be a dreamer and Joseph was going to save them one day. That's not what I'm talking about. They didn't see Joseph as their brother. They didn't see Joseph as beloved by their father in the right way. All they had was jealousy and selfish ambition. We can't always see Christ for who He is, even when He saves us. And we often cannot see Him fully for who He is. Even when God saves us, we don't always see Christ fully for who He is. In, in fact, I'm just going to say, even when God saves you, you don't see Christ fully for who He is. How do we know that's true? Because we all battle with fear. We all battle with doubt. We all battle with unbelief. We all run into circumstances and situations in our life that make us doubt, that make us waver, that bring us to a place of fear and anxiety. That is the human condition. And what is the remedy for that? The remedy is a revelation of God's love. Where is God's love revealed to us? God's love is revealed in no greater person and in no greater measure than in the person of Jesus Christ. You never have to doubt God's love because God did not withhold his son. The problem is that we don't always see the son for who he truly is because we're blind and our sight is dim. And we have too many other things that have come into our mind's eye that's causing us or distracting us or causing us to, to see dimly. But it's God's desire to make Himself known to us. That we would come to know Him fully for who He is. It's His desire for us to know Him, to love Him, to be with Him. This was Joseph's desire. Joseph wanted his family to be with him. Joseph understood how long the famine would last. He understood that apart from the salvation that he held in his hand, his family would perish. And he wanted to save his family. He wanted to save his brothers. He wanted his brothers with him. But Joseph also knew that those brothers had to come to a place, a certain place before he could reveal himself and make those things known to them. This is the very thing God has to do in our own lives. Think back in your life of when you out of hand rejected God, when you had no desire for God, when you, you thought God and faith and all of that was just a bunch of foolishness. 
Think about how many times, even now, in faith, we fall into those mindsets where we find ourselves rejecting God, where we find ourselves doubting God, where we find ourselves wondering. It's God's desire to bring us to a place of knowing Him and loving Him where we know that He is truly the God that will never leave us and never forsake us. This is the grace of God. This is what God was working in Joseph and through Joseph. God reveals Christ to us even when we cannot see Him before our very eyes. Joseph was not in disguise. He was not hiding. He didn't have a false identity. Joseph stood before the very eyes of his brothers and they did not see him. Remember when Jesus was resurrected and he walked with the the two guys on the road to Emmaus and it was Jesus, but they couldn't recognize him. And they finally sit down to have a meal together. Jesus is going to go on. They said, no, wait, just eat with us. There was something about this guy. And when Jesus broke the bread at the table, the Bible says their eyes were open. And they said, did our hearts not burn within us? And Christ opened their eyes and they saw Jesus. This is what's got to happen in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. People have said to me before, if Jesus would just appear to me physically, I would believe in him. No, you wouldn't. Because Jesus appeared to thousands upon thousands of people physically and they did not believe in him. Jesus even came back from the dead physically and they did not and they still today do not believe in him. And we see Jesus walking with people on a road. We see Jesus on a beach while they're fishing And they don't recognize him until suddenly there's a revelation. Here is Joseph. This is the picture. Joseph is there right before his brothers and they can't see him. They just can't see that it's Joseph. God reveals Christ to us even when we can't see him. The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen all around us. But many cannot see them and they cannot see Christ. Christ came in the flesh. He made himself known, but many could not see the Savior. The greatest work that God does in our life is to cause us to be born again with a new heart and a new life of the Spirit in Christ. And with that new birth and with that new life, God opens our eyes. He opens our blindness He opens the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our mind, and we're able to see Jesus, our Savior. Though we see, our seeing is progressive. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see dimly. Or you think about when Jesus healed uh, the leper, or when Jesus healed the blind man, there was this progressive seeing But God has promised that he will complete the good work that he has begun in us even until the day of Jesus Christ. That's Philippians 1.6. In other words, God will bring us to that place of seeing and knowing Christ fully 
That's his promise to us. This is what Joseph was doing with his brothers. Joseph wasn't just being cruel to his brothers. Joseph was doing a work of redemption. Joseph was bringing his brothers to a place of brokenness and repentance so that he could reveal himself to them so that they could know the fullness of the salvation that God had provided. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place of seeing and knowing Christ in all the provision of his salvation. It's his desire that we know fully the reconciliation and the redemption that God has provided for us in Christ for his glory. This is the constant work of the Holy Spirit in all things, both bitter and sweet, that Christ be seen and Christ be known. So the path to seeing is different for all, but the destination is the same. I'm not saying we're all on a different path. I'm saying the path that we're all on is different. In other words, we experience it differently. We see different things. We touch different things. We experience different things. But the destination is the same. God will bring us to the end of ourself. For that's the place that we have to come to before we find that place of revelation. And coming to the end of ourself is not coming to the end of our joy. In fact, it's just the opposite. As we come to the end of ourself, as we come to see Christ more fully, we come to discover more of the fullness of his joy. Jacob, Judah, and Benjamin had very different experiences in their path to see Joseph. There were many common elements, but they experienced those common elements differently because each one's life and story was unique. You experience things differently because you are unique. God doesn't work in your life the same way he works in the person next to you. God doesn't work in the life of a husband the same way he works in the life of his wife. God doesn't work in the life of a father in the same way that he works in the life of his daughter or his son. But God works in all and he's working and bringing about the same thing in all that we would come to see and that we would come to know the fullness that is in Christ. So the blind man in Mark 8, 24 and 25 was healed progressively. Jesus touched him and he says, I can see but I can just see men who are like trees. And Jesus touched him again, and he could see clearly. The lepers came, and Jesus said, go your way to the priest, and you'll be cleansed on the way. There was a progressive healing, a progressive cleansing that took place. We are made to see more clearly. We are made to know more clearly as we go on with Jesus. God takes the situations and the circumstances of our life and he uses those things to bring us to a place of revelation, to bring us to a place of seeing Christ more clearly and knowing Christ more intimately. Just read the book of Job and ask yourself, would you rather have a trouble-free life or would you rather have a life in which God loved you enough to bother you? I promise you, you would much rather have a life in which God loved you enough and he said, I'm not going to leave this man alone. 
God doesn't have to use hard circumstances, but the world is full of hard circumstances. So God uses them. God brings so much beauty and joy into our lives every day. Think about it, church. Much of it goes unnoticed. But God uses great beauty and great joy nonetheless to bring us to a place of seeing Him and knowing Him more fully. Open your eyes to the beauty around you and see the grace of Christ at work in your life. It's one thing to notice the roses. It's another thing to stop and smell them. And we go through life in way too much of a hurry. And sometimes God in His grace causes us to stop. And maybe we, fell in, we fall in the rose bush and God gives us the grace to smell the roses. But all we think about are the thorns or the skint knee. When in reality, what God wanted us to do was to stop and be able to see the beauty and the grace that He has filled our life with and to consider the source of that. To open your eyes. God has placed you on a path, a journey filled with beauty and adventure, light and dark, hot and cold, smooth places and rough places, level ground and steep ground. If you just look around at the world, you'll see this is the world that God has made. It's why we have plains and we have mountains. It's why we have desert and we have forest. It's why we have lakes and rivers and oceans and then we have oceans of sand. It's why we have temperate places and we have hot places, cold places and not so cold places. The world is diverse in every way and so are our lives and so are our journeys. They are diverse But God has designed it that way and He has written our story filled with so much beauty and so much adventure and so much diversity, even danger. We don't like the danger, but but the world is filled with danger. We need to trust God in the dangerous places. It doesn't mean we need to be foolish. The devil said to Jesus, hey, go ahead and jump off the pinnacle of this temple because you know the Bible says God won't even let you stump your toe. And what was the response of Jesus? Don't tempt the Lord foolishly. So I'm not saying don't tempt the Lord foolishly or I'm not saying that that you have the privilege or the right to do that and God has to protect you. You should be not fear any danger. No. When you're in a dangerous situation, you should respect that. But you need to understand that you will never be able to walk through this world and not encounter danger. You'll never be able to raise your children and keep them from all danger and all harm. You you can't do that. This is the world God made. He put dangerous things in it. The most dangerous things The most dangerous thing in all of creation is God himself. Jesus said, don't fear those who have power to kill your body. Fear him who has the power to cast your soul into hell. There's no one more dangerous than God is. But if you're his child, if you trust in him, 
You can walk through this dangerous world knowing that there is one greater. He lives in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He is the good shepherd and he knows how to lead us even through the valley of the shadow of death. He is taking us to higher ground to a more clear view of life and of our salvation. Trust Him. This is what God is doing in your life. This is what God is doing through everything you encounter in your life. Don't run from it and don't run from God. Run to Him. We have this shepherd that deals with his sheep individually as is required and according to what is best. God's work in our life is not always the least painful, but it is always the most good. Do you hear me, church? God's dealing in our life is not always the least painful, but it is always the most good. Joseph knew what he was putting his brothers and his father through. He knew it was fearful and even painful, but it was for the greatest good. It was for their life and their salvation. Though in the moment they could not see that and they could not perceive that in any way. We have the advantage of hindsight as we look at their story. We can look back at Joseph's life. We can look back at the story of Joseph and his brothers and Jacob we can say, well, I mean, if they'd have just known, you know, they didn't, have, they didn't have a reason to be fearful after all. Well, it's easy for us to say looking back. Because here we are in the midst of our own stories. And we're in fearful situations. And we don't know what to do. And we don't know what to think. And we're not sure what the future holds. But God does. Yeah, but I don't, Pastor. It's okay that you don't. Because God doesn't always reveal the future. Remember, if Jacob would have known what was going to happen to Joseph, that day he sent him out to check on the sheep, Joseph would have never left that house. Thank God he did leave the house because it meant ultimately the salvation of the world. So God on purpose does not reveal to us what the future holds very often because he knows that it would scare us because we put our faith more in our fears than we do and the God who is Lord over our fears. But we have the advantage of hindsight when we look at their story. So in our own story, we know that God is doing a work to bring us to that same place of revealing Christ to us. We don't understand why He does certain things. We don't we don't always know all the details, but we need to know this. God is not working differently in your life than he did in Joseph's life or Jacob's life or Isaac's life or Abraham's life or anybody else's life. We're all on the same path. We all have the same destination. We just have different experiences along the way. So will you take the advantage of hindsight as we look at their story? Will you look at your own story and what God is doing and apply the advantage of the hindsight God has given us in His Word to your life and to your story and know and trust that God is working redemption and reconciliation and salvation in your life in all things? 
Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has worked salvation by grace in His people since the beginning of the creation. He's working it now in you. We can either embrace bitterness or we can embrace brokenness. Will you embrace brokenness in order to know His salvation? Will you humble yourself or will you be brought to humiliation? That's a choice that God gives us. But one way or another, God will bring you to the cross. If you accept that brokenness that the cross brings, there is life everlasting. If you reject the cross, there is no hope for you. So don't reject what God is doing in your life. Embrace it. For the believer, you can embrace the journey and take all in. And you can avail yourself to all that God has put along the way. All that you encounter. All that you experience. You can avail yourself to that as a means of seeing Him more clearly and knowing Him more deeply. That is God's desire for each of us. That, that is the work of the Holy Spirit that is being accomplished in you. This is for your joy and for His glory. Judah, at the end of this chapter, he says to Joseph, he doesn't know it's his brother, but he says in verse 32, Your servant has become surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. That's what Christ did for you. He bore the blame before his father for you forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. Paul said, I have become the bondservant. We clean that up. It's really slave. I have become the slave of Christ. That's what a bondservant was. A bondservant was a man, a woman, who'd become the total and complete property of somebody. A slave. In all practical purposes. And Judah is standing before Joseph and he says, I will be your slave. Let the lad go. This is what Christ invites us to do. To come before Him and say to Him, I will be your slave. He has given us life. He has given us salvation. He has not withheld anything from us. And this is why Jesus said, if you will lay down your life, you will find it. If you will lose your life, you will gain life. But if you try to keep your own life, you will end up losing everything. Judah came to that point and he said, take my life. I'll be your slave. Let the boy go. This is what Jesus did for us. Take me, Father. Pour your wrath upon me that my brethren can go free. Lay your life down. Give Christ your all. Become His slave and find your greatest freedom and His greatest love, His greatest joy, His greatest peace for His greatest glory. Amen. Let's all stand and let's pray.
Father, we ask that you would give to us the courage. Lord, even the courage that we see in Judah to offer ourselves as your slave, to give ourselves totally and completely to you. Lord, in your grace, do a work in us by your Spirit. Do a deep and eternal work that would be to your glory. Help us, Father, discover and experience and know the joy of this journey that you have put us on by the grace of God. Here's my challenge to you, church. I challenge you to consider your journey, to honestly assess how clearly you are able to see Christ. Christ who stands before you and and how deeply you know Him. Honestly assess how loyal of a slave of Christ you are, how divided your heart may be. Remind yourself that you will always fall short, not as an excuse to fail, but as a comfort for when you do, because we will all fail. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's not our out. That's not our excuse. That's a reminder that we're not saved by our own ability to work, but we're saved by His ability to keep us in His work, His finished work. So I challenge you to let that truth motivate you to serve Him and to rest in His finished work and to challenge you to seek His face, to see Him, to know Him, and to give your life to Him totally, holding nothing back. I challenge you to give your life to Him totally, holding nothing back. If you ask God to show you the areas you're holding back, if you ask God to show you the areas you're fearful in, if you ask God to give you an honest assessment, He will, not for your condemnation, for there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ, but He does it for your salvation. He does it for your good. He does it because He wants you to see and to know Him fully, And to know the fullness of His love, His joy, and His peace that He gives to us in Christ. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Do a work in us that can only be done by Your Spirit, we pray. Challenge us, God. And may we respond in the grace of God and bring glory to Your name. In Jesus' name, amen.